Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here. And uh, thanks for making River Glen part of your, your Sunday, part of your weekend. Um, just a big welcome to everybody. We're in week number two of this series called uh, You Asked For It. And uh, by the way, next weekend, uh, guest speaker who played in six Super Bowls. We're really pumped up about this. Uh, Don Beebe is going to be here. Played for the Green Bay Packers Super Bowl uh, winning team. You don't want to miss it. And so be sure to be here and uh, bring somebody uh, with you. All right. Uh, last fall, uh, many of you remember we surveyed everybody in the church, and we said, if you could ask God, you know, one question, what would it be? And we took the top four questions, and we're going to answer one uh, each weekend of this uh, series, and you probably knew this one was coming. Yeah, we got a lot of questions about this. It's a tough one, and um, I can't really imagine a more uh, socially, uh, religiously, uh, politically divisive subject than this one. And so here's how I want to get started. I want to begin with some common ground, all right, and uh, talk about baseball. Uh, because this last week, opening, opening uh, uh, season, uh, opening week for Major League Baseball, right? And uh, any baseball fans in the house? Yeah, 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 my hand's up. I'm a Brewer fan, love following the Brewers. I, I don't know about you, but for me, there's just something peaceful, you know, about going to Miller Park and uh, watching a, a Brewer game, even if the Brewers lose, which may happen frequently um, this year, hopefully, hopefully uh, not. Now, I grew up in West Dallas and went to a lot of Brewer games at the old County Stadium. Anybody ever go to County Stadium? Remember that play? Oh, yeah, a lot of hands. And uh, I went to the last opening day at County Stadium thinking, I don't know why they're tearing it down. You know, I think the County Stadium is fine. Until I went to that last uh, opening day and it was so cold, so windy, I felt like a human popsicle, you know, sitting in the uh, uh, stands. But here's the worst part, okay? Uh, about the second, third inning, something starts dripping down on us, okay, from the upper deck. We're in the lower section. And I thought maybe somebody's pouring out their beer from the upper deck. Sometimes people do that on um, opening day. But it just got worse, and it kept dripping worse. Turns out a pipe burst in the upper deck. And they actually evacuated our section in the lower level for, I don't know, about 15, uh, 20 minutes. Now, I have no idea what was leaking out of that pipe, okay? And I don't want to know, all right? Ignorance is bliss. That's fine. I don't care. Uh, but that changed my mind, and uh, I really looked forward to Miller Park, which I think is a fun place uh, to go watch a, a ball game. Uh, a few years ago, uh, our family, we went to uh, a brewer game on, on the 4th of July. We did this several times. We were 4th of July brewer games, and we had a great time. What a great way to celebrate uh, the 4th of July, go down to Miller Park and tailgate. But on July 4th, 2012, I saw something at the brewer game that really troubled me, uh, really disturbed me. I don't remember the game. I don't really remember the score of the game, but I'll never forget what I saw in the parking lot at Miller Park uh, that day. This group of angry protesters lined the entrance to the uh, parking lot, and they carried the most hateful signs that I've ever seen in my life, attacking homosexuals as if they're you know, humans without feelings, uh, without souls. And to my amazement, I mean, these protesters came from a church in Kansas, and they claimed to be uh, Christians. I don't remember the game. I don't remember the score, but I'll never uh, forget what I saw in, in, in the parking lot at, at Miller Park. It changed the way uh, that I look at this issue. And if you're here today and you're gay, uh, you're, you're, you're lesbian, bisexual, really dealing with feelings of same-sex attraction, before we get into this subject, I want to tell you that I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for the way that you have been treated by the church community as a, as a whole. And, um, and I want to ask your forgiveness today. The things that have been said to you and about you are repulsive. And I want you to know, I don't support, you know, the people that carry the hate signs. And, you know, I don't support the phrase, that is so gay, because I've realized that may legitimately represent how you feel. I'm sorry, and I'm asking for your forgiveness before we get started uh, today. In fact, if you're here today and you're gay, lesbian, bisexual, really dealing with feelings of same-sex attraction, I want you to know three things before we really dive into the subject. First of all, I want you to know that you matter to God. You really do. God loves you. And God has a plan for your life that's even better uh, than your plan. Second thing I want you to know is that you matter to this church. Now, I can't speak for other churches, but I, speak, I can speak for this one. And I know you're here. I know you're here every weekend. And I want you to know that you really do matter to this church. And then third, I want you to know that you matter to me. In fact... Uh, you matter so much. I had uh, several people help me with this message and read it ahead of time. And I, I even leaned into other pastors. And on Tuesday this week, I talked with someone who deals with same-sex attraction. And I said, I want you to help me to present a message where I build bridges rather than I build walls today. And I, I just want you to know that's how much uh, God loves you, this church loves you. And I love you. Now, I know there's a lot of different opinions, you know, in this room and emotions uh, related uh, to this subject. Some of you here that are, that are straight, okay, you know, maybe you're Christian, maybe you're not a Christian, but you would, you know, you would call yourself heterosexual. Some of you, you know, you're probably thinking right now, you're already thinking Ben's going way too easy on this subject. Ben's going way too easy on these people that the Bible says what they're doing is, is serious and we need to speak the truth. And I would agree that we do need to speak the truth. But speaking the truth is never reason to be insensitive or mean or arrogant. You know, sometimes when Christian people talk about this issue, they will say that uh, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of, of heaven. In other words, gay people are going to go to hell. And uh, sometimes these protesters uh, will, will carry signs with that statement. And if you were to ask them, you know, what's a Bible reference for that? They would say... Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Sometimes you'll see that on their sign. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that homosexuals will not inherit uh, the kingdom of God. But I want to take a moment with you and look at the scripture together. Because if you actually read this uh, scripture, which talks about people that are not going to inherit uh, the kingdom of heaven. I want you to see that the list is actually much longer than just homosexuals. And so let's go ahead and let's take a look at this uh, list here. Let me read this to you before we dive in. It says, uh, do you not know that uh, wrongdoers uh, will not inherit uh, the kingdom of God. All right, let's stop right there. I wonder, do we have any wrongdoers, you know, in the room here uh, today? Yeah, in fact, if you have uh, never been a wrongdoer, uh, raise your hand. Because Jesus, we want to see where you're sitting here uh, in our midst today. We want to welcome you into our uh, uh, gathering. The rest of us are human, all right? Uh, let's continue. Let's look at the rest of this here. Do not be deceived, uh, neither the, the, the sexually immoral, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, uh, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers uh, will inherit uh, the kingdom of God. So it's actually a long list. And I wonder if you see yourself on this list anywhere. You know, for example, I wonder if there's anybody in the room that's ever done anything sexually immoral. 
I wonder if there's anybody that's ever been guilty of idolatry, which means to put something ahead of, of God, hypothetically spending more money on a possession than you give uh, to Jesus is a form of, of idolatry, and idolatry is on the list. And so is uh, homosexuality, okay? It's here. It's, it's, it's on the list. But so is being a thief, and I wonder if anybody's ever stolen anything. Anybody in the room ever steal anything? Or slander? I wonder if anybody in the room's ever spoken against somebody? gossiped against somebody. It's quite a list, isn't it? Quite a list, long list. And I know I'm on the list. Now, I'm not going to show you where I'm on the list, <laughs> but I'm on the list. And I'm quite sure that everybody in the room is on the list. And I think if we were honest, we would probably say, yeah, I'm in three or four categories on the list. We're on the list. But then the powerful part of the passage comes in the next verse where Paul says, and that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our gods. In other words, you know, going to heaven has nothing to do with our work. It has everything to do with the work Jesus finished on the cross because we're not saved by our behavior, we're, we're saved by what Jesus did. Uh, for us. And so I want to be really fair today because, you know, all of us are on the list and need uh, Jesus. In the book of James, James is the, uh, was the half-brother of Jesus. He went on to write one of the books in the New Testament. And James says that the Bible is really like a mirror, okay? It's this mirror, and you open it up, and you see what's really going on in, in your life. It's kind of like one of those uh, makeup mirrors, ladies. Maybe, maybe you've seen one of these. Maybe you have one of these. My mom, I remember, had one of these, one of these round mirrors that really mag magnifies everything. It's got a light around it. But I would avoid that mirror because I could see every imperfection on my face. And the Bible is, is, is like that. It's supposed to be this mirror where we see God's standards and we say, you know, God, what needs changing in, in, in my life? You know, here's something I need to do in my life. But, but the problem is that, you know, many of us Christians have stopped treating the Bible as a mirror. And we started using it as a window to judge other, other people. Okay? And the problem of, of using the Bible as a window to judge other people is what we do is then we maximize the sin of other people. And we minimize our own sin and we perceive other people as not as good. As, as we are. That's why some church people can say things like, thank God I'm not gay. And then they go look at pornography on the internet because we're using the, the Bible as a window to judge other people rather than a mirror to see what I really need to work on in, in my life. And so let's talk about this issue. We're going to talk about this issue. And uh, we're going to look at a scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter 19. If you have a, a Bible with you and you want to open there, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 19. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you something about myself. I'm a follower of Jesus. But I mess up and sin and make mistakes every day. But I try my best to follow Jesus. And the reason I follow him is, is, is not really because of what he said. Now, he said some amazing things. Don't, don't get me wrong. There are things Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are incredible. And I try to live my life by those things. But the reason I follow him is because of what he did. And when I say what he did, I'm, I'm talking specifically about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the only person in all of history that when he faced death, God didn't deliver him from death. God delivered him through death. And that's why we celebrated that event, the resurrection, a couple weeks ago 
on Easter. If you're here Easter weekend, we actually showed some footage, some video footage that we took at the garden tomb where we believe Jesus resurrected in Jerusalem. Last November, a group of us went over there and filmed on several locations, and we almost didn't get to film the garden tomb. The, the night before, I discovered they don't let you film when they're, when they're open during their public hours. And I remember I felt so bummed out. I thought I blew it. But I went ahead and I called their office, even though the office was closed. I figured I'd get a recorded message. But it was almost a God thing. Somebody answered the phone, and they were, they were nice enough, and they said, come an hour before we open, and you can, can film. And so I got to spend an hour alone with the uh, empty uh, tomb. And it was one of the most powerful moments of the trip and of my life. It really hit me. The reason the empty tomb matters is because it proves that in Jesus there's hope and there's grace and there's power over whatever the world throws our way. We can face whatever the world throws at us. And so because of what Jesus did, I think we should take what he said as really important. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we can't, you know, take his teachings like a buffet where, you know, okay, I like this, I'll take some of that, but no, I don't like that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. No, if we follow him, it means that we take all of it. We receive all of it. With that in mind, one time Jesus was asked about marriage. Uh, Jesus was asked about the subject of marriage and uh, divorce. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. Haven't you read? And I want to stop right there because those three words are huge. Here's what they mean. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament story uh, of, of, of Adam and Eve and creation in Genesis chapter 2. He, he said, haven't you read? Haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator, which is a reference to God, made them male and female. And then he goes on to say, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Notice a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. Man being the male, wife being the female, and so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, God has joined the man and the woman together as husband and, and, and wife. According to Jesus, this is what God has joined together. And then he says, let no one separate them. And so when it comes to Jesus and, you know, the kind of marriage that he endorses, which is, is what I want to know, you know, what, what kind of... What, what kind of marriage does Jesus endorse? Because he's the one that forgives my sin. He's the one that came back from the dead. He's the one that I follow. And Jesus says that marriage is between a man and a woman. And he offered no exceptions. And so the marriage that I believe in and the marriage that I affirm and I endorse is the marriage that Jesus affirmed and, and supported between a man and a woman. And a woman. And politics don't play a part in that. Money doesn't play a part in that because the one who paid for my sins defined it that way. And because I think he defined it clearly, I don't really think of it as an unclear issue for the church today. Now, before you tune me out, those of you that might be tempted to tune me out, okay, I, I want to define this a little bit more. And I want to show you a diagram. I came across this diagram that I found helpful. Maybe this will be helpful uh, to you. I want us to imagine a box, okay? And uh, in this box is safety. Outside the box is pain and regret 
and many times death, even death. Now, I want you to imagine my youngest son, Ryan, okay? Imagine Ryan's really little. Let's say he's, he's six years old, and uh, Ryan, my son, is playing in the box. And I tell my son, Ryan, don't go outside the box. Now, am I being a cruel father? No, no. I'm being a loving father because I clearly explained the boundaries to him. A cruel father would be somebody who says, I'll just let him make up his own mind. And with that in mind, the boundaries that Jesus explained in the passage that we just looked at identified two types of people. He identified the man and the woman, okay? And he said the man is the husband and the woman is the wife. And then uh, Jesus talked about sex, okay? And and sex goes in the box uh, because everything that God gives us is a good uh, uh, gift. I mean, God didn't, you know, think about this. God didn't catch Adam and Eve behind behind a tree and get mad at them, okay? because he gave them this gift to enjoy, right? Everything God gives is a good uh, gift. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but uh, taste. For example, taste is a good gift. God could have made food to taste like tree bark, and all the organic people would have been very happy about that, but the rest of us would have been upset, yeah. This past week, I went over to Dairy Queen and got my favorite sundae, the uh, peanut butter bash, which is proof of the goodness of God. My taste buds erupted in praise. It was just a spiritual moment uh, for me. God did a great job with taste, didn't he? Taste is a gift. Sex is also a gift. Now, Jesus explains that sex is given for the purpose of intimacy between a man and a woman, between a husband and uh, a wife, or a husband and wife. So marriage is about a lot more than health insurance or tax returns. Marriage was given by God to demonstrate his commitment to the church. That's why in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church with a relentless and passionate pursuit. And so Jesus says that sex is reserved for a man and a woman who are husband and and wife. And anything outside the box, anything outside the relationship of husband and wife, anything outside the box is sinful and wrong according to Jesus. But here's what I want to make sure you understand, okay? I'm not singling out homosexuality. Talking about anything. Talking about the man and the woman that are not married and and they're hooking up. Or the, I'm talking about the man and the woman addicted to pornography. Talking about the man and the woman involved in, a, in, a, in an affair. I'm saying we can't look at other people and say, you know, thank God I'm not like that. Because then we're using the Bible as a window to judge other people rather than a mirror. And mere people say, God, what does your word have to say to me? God, what needs changing in my life? And so Jesus teaches that anything outside of the box, okay, any type of sex outside of the box, it detaches us from God and detaches us from his plan. Inside the box is is devotion. Outside is detachment because we can't pursue Jesus and sin at the same time. And so the subject today is much broader than homosexuality. It's, It's really about sexual purity. And inside this box, you can be single and sexually pure, and you can be married and have sexual purity in the context of that uh, relationship. Now, if you're here and you're gay or lesbian or bisexual, really dealing with, with feelings of same-sex attraction, I know, I know what you're probably thinking you know, right now. Ben, I thought you understood. I thought you cared. I thought you loved me. But now you're saying that you know, anything outside the box is wrong, and that just seems really closed-minded 
uh, to me. Basically, there's three arguments that I've, that I've seen or read or heard on a consistent uh, basis. And here's the first one. The first one is this. I was born this way. I was born this way. And you know what my response to that is? I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with it because I believe all of us, you know, we're born with personalities and desires and attractions that we didn't choose and we have to live with. Let me push on this a little bit because this is something I think that many Christian people have never really thought about. Many Christians desire for gay people uh, to, to find Jesus and get saved. And we think if they get saved, they'll never deal with feelings of same-sex attraction ever again. But let me, let me ask the married uh, men in the room a question, okay? And uh, just think about this. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to get you in trouble on this. But there's probably not a married man in this room that Jesus or marriage has taken away the lust in your heart or in your mind toward another woman. You may deal with those feelings for the rest of your life. And that leads to the second objection that I hear uh, people often say, and that is, uh, uh, Ben, my feelings are just so strong. I feel so strongly that this is okay. Why would I have these feelings? And why would these feelings be so strong if, you know, if I wasn't supposed to fulfill these feelings? Well, I understand that argument. I mean, I have feelings too. And, and uh, you know, I, I deal with, with strong feelings. I, one time I got really angry on the uh, golf course. I get frustrated and angry many times on the golf course. Hit my ball in the water. I get angry. Miss a two-foot putt. I get angry. But there was one time I got especially uh, angry. I'm golfing with some friends. And we finished the hole. We're walking off the green. And all of a sudden, it felt like somebody punched me in the back as hard as they could. And I'm like, whoa, ouch, ooh, what, ha what just happened? And I looked at the ground, and this golf ball rolls away from me on the green. Here's what happened. Up the fairway, a couple hundred yards, this guy drove his ball into my back without saying the word. What's the word? Four. Yeah, four means get out of the way, right? I was so angry. I wanted to take his little white golf ball and go up that fairway and put it down right in front of him, take out my three iron and just smack it at him and go four. <laughs> but my feelings didn't make it right. And we got to be careful about using our feelings to legitimize uh, behaviors because here's the truth. God's facts always trump our feelings. God's facts will always trump the way that we feel. Now, I'm not saying you don't feel certain ways. I'm not saying the feelings the feeling isn't strong. I'm saying inside this box, according to Jesus, is sexual purity. And so if you're single, you're not having sex with anybody. If you're married, you're having sex with one person of the opposite sex. Anything else outside uh, the box, no matter how we feel, according to Jesus, is not right. The third argument is tolerance. And this is a popular one. In some settings, if you say anything negative about homosexual behavior, you are labeled as intolerant and hate-filled. Now, if you're here, and again, if you're dealing with these, these feelings of, of, of attraction, I hope that you have not felt or heard any hatred uh, from me. I said earlier, God loves you. Our, our church loves you. And I love you. But love does not mean that we have to agree. Uh, with each other. Okay, tolerance has become this idea that, you know, you got to think like me, you've got to agree with me, you've got to totally endorse, you know, everything I do. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're intolerant and uh, hate-filled. But agreeing with someone is not a prerequisite for loving uh, each other. 
We can disagree intellectually and still tolerate and welcome and support and love one another. That's how Jesus lived. Jesus would respect and hang out and love people who believed and lived much differently uh, than he did. Agreement is not a prerequisite for tolerating and welcoming and loving each other. But, but here's what I've discovered is that many people that live you know, outside of the box, uh, they're not looking for just love and acceptance. They're looking for approval. They're looking for endorsement. And I can love and accept and welcome you because Jesus loves and accepts and welcomes you, but I cannot endorse what you're doing. Uh, because Jesus never endorsed sin. And it has nothing to do with hate. It has everything to do with loving God and loving you. See, here's what I know about everybody in the room, gay or straight, Christian or, or non-Christian. We all have regrets. Something in our past that we regret. Some section of our life that if we could, we'd go back and do it over uh, again. I would say based on my experience as a, as a Christ follower... And uh, as a pastor, that the majority of the regrets in this room and the most powerful regrets in this room are tied to some sort of sexual sin, to some sort of, of uh, behavior outside of, of the box. Because I know that anything outside the box is not only wrong, it destroys our lives and it destroys our families. But I also know who Jesus is. And here, here's what the Bible says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4. Since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Don't miss this. Faith is, is, is saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe. I'm going to believe your word, okay, even though my feelings want to go another way. God, I'm going to choose your word over the way that I feel. It goes on to say that we do not have a high priest who was, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet uh, he did not sin. Quick question for you. Is, it, is temptation a sin? Is it a, is it a, a sin to be tempted? Yes or no? No, no. Temptation is not a sin. Acting on the temptation is sin. And notice the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way. You and I are never tempted uh, in, in a way that Jesus did not face, that he was without sin. So if we're pursuing Jesus, we're not pursuing ways to get outside the box that he clearly defined. We want devotion to him, not detachment. And that means sometimes resisting and um, pushing through what are legitimately uh, strong feelings in our lives. And the Bible goes on to say in Hebrews, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, not condemnation, not judgment, mercy and find grace to help us in our time of, of, of need. And so if you're here today and you're living in any sort of sexual immorality, any sort, if you'll turn to Jesus, you will receive mercy and you will find grace. And if you're here today and you have a family member or a friend who's legitimately dealing uh, with feelings of same-sex attraction. Let me make a suggestion based on this mercy and grace. Place relationships before uh, recommendations. Place relationships before recommendations. Here's what I mean. Don't preach first, okay? Remember how Jesus um, treated people. I mean, Jesus would uh, meet a physical need. He would develop a, a relationship with someone before he declared forgiveness of sins, before he said, go and sin no more. Think about how he related to the tax collector, uh, Zacchaeus. He went over to his house, ate a meal with him. 
Before he told him what to do, Jesus placed relationships before recommendations. And you know what that may mean? You need to put your Bible down. You stop quoting verses from Leviticus or Romans. Not that any of this is not true. But you could win an argument and lose the relationship. And that is unlike Jesus. I'm saying have a conversation because the way that we're going to win the world is, is, is not through condemnation, but through conversations where people understand that we really care about them because that's the way our Savior did it. And so if you're here today and you're living in any kind of sexual immorality, here's what I would tell you. Take a step toward Jesus because in him you will receive mercy and you will find grace. That's why every weekend we share a time of a communion together, not just to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, but also to give us an opportunity to turn to Jesus uh, right now to receive mercy and to find his grace. If, if communion's all new to you and you want to take a pass on it, that's fine. But our communion is open to anybody because Jesus invites everyone to turn to him. Let me pray for us and then we'll share communion. God, thank you for the, for the freedom today and the opportunity to discuss an important subject that, that we just cannot ignore. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace and the way that Jesus demonstrated both. God, I pray that we would respond like Jesus to this issue and love all people. I pray that we would be grieved over the pain and mistreatment of anybody, including gay and lesbian people. And I pray that you would give us the courage and humility to use the Bible as a mirror to look at ourselves rather than a window to judge and look down at other people. And God, may we all point people to the grace and mercy that we all need. Thank you for making us new through your son, Jesus. Thank you for making me new through Jesus. And I pray that those kinds of miracles would continue among us in this place. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.